Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey everyone, thanks so much for uh, doing that with us, for joining us. It's really, really special to have you with us this morning. And uh, as I heard uh, just the team leading us in that song, I, I thought of one of the thing, uh, things I miss the most of this uh, kind of uh, these restrictions and these closures is just hearing many of you sing. I think sometimes it's just singing or even having times in our lives where we, we don't feel like singing, but hearing someone else sing uh, can encourage us that we're not alone in this journey of Uh, just growing and making sense of our faith and learning to trust God, learning to understand what God is maybe trying to say to us. And so one of the things we want to say to you, if, especially if this is kind of a new experience for you, uh, we look forward to seeing you in person and we understand that this is a really uh, challenging time. And, and at the same time, we really believe that God is still using the Holy Spirit's at work, kind of speaking to us, teaching us, calling us to this deeper place. And so if you've tuned in, you know this, that we've been going through the series thinking about what it means to rediscover who Jesus was as we read the Bible and as we grow together. So if this is kind of new for you, one of the things I want to suggest is maybe you want to grab a Bible. If you, if, you, if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one or uh, a device that maybe has a Bible in it that we can follow along with us. Also, you might want to just get a notebook or something to write in, especially this morning. Just want to give you a heads up. We're going to do some digging and some thinking and some learning. So having something to write in might help. Now I know as well, we, we've shared it already, that maybe there's distractions around you or there's kids and th this is not, doesn't feel as a focused time as you, as you can. You can always come back to some of these teachings, and some of you are doing that, so I'm really proud of you uh, to kind of learn and, and maybe listen again. And if you've missed any of these, you can go back and, and watch some of them as we're in week three. I, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. I want you to think of someone that you know, or maybe this is you, uh, someone that's easily offended. You know someone that's easily offended? Uh, maybe you feel like during these, uh, just these difficult times, you feel like you're more offended by like the simplest thing or you overreact or you, you kind of freak out. I, I kind of tend to feel that sometimes. Maybe you, you realize like there's some things that some people would say to you that would, they wouldn't, they'd say to me, but they wouldn't bother me, but it would really bother you. I think growing up, one of the things that was most offensive, I feel most offended at, is if somebody implied uh, that I was lazy. I think this came from like just my context growing up and, and equating like, you know, if you're a man or if you're going to really be someone that people can trust and respect, you better not be lazy. And so if somebody implied that maybe I was lazy, I, I'd get so offended, uh, you know. Or when I was really, really young, another thing that was connected, I, I think, to like being strong and not being offended was like shaking somebody's hand. Uh, early on, like one of my weirdest experiences is like shaking someone's hand and, and them saying to me, like, shake it harder, you know, like a man. And I was like, oh, I'm like only five. I can't really do this, you know. <laughs> like trying to find a way to, to kind of prove that, you know, I, I, I belong and, you know, that no one can like call me names. And so over the, the years, I thought about things that might offend me if people say certain things. This week, kind of that thought came to mind 
as I was praying and studying because it never hit me before that Jesus says certain things to people that will offend them. And it's shocking because I don't think I ever thought about Jesus being that way. So much of the views of Jesus that were given to me or maybe even in our culture is that Jesus is like just a good teacher and he's hugging the kids and he's really, really friendly and loves the stranger. All those things are are, are true, by the way. But that he would say other things that would come across as offensive uh, kind of just stood out to me. And so maybe you can think of a time, maybe you remember where Jesus would say something that would offend people. But just if nothing comes to mind, let me read a passage of scripture for you and see if it kind of comes to the surface how Jesus articulates something that would really have bothered people in the ancient world. This is what he says right here in Matthew chapter 7. It says this, But everyone who hears these words of mine, his teaching, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man, person, who built his house on sand. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he had taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. I don't know if it stood out to you, kind of put it in the slide there so you could see that Jesus says to certain people who are listening, and this morning we're going to talk about what it means that Jesus is teaching in such a way that other people recognize there's something special about him. And then he goes on to say that those who listen to his teachings and don't put him into practice are fools. I mean, to call somebody a fool in in the biblical sense would have been really offensive. For people to think like, who does this guy think he is calling us fools? Think of somebody calling you a fool. Someone telling you like, you're not living a life or putting into practice the right things. You're not raising your your kids in the right way. You're not like committing to the right things. You'd be offended like I would be offended. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to take some time and I want to move us along to explore probably the most famous, I would say, label or category that people have for Jesus. And that's that Jesus was just a great teacher. Maybe you believe that. Or maybe you know someone who kind of believes that. If you've been with us in the series, you know we, uh, every kind of step of the way in the series, one of the things I've tried to do is, is to share like a little confession. I guess I just share a little bit of a, of a time in I guess I just share a little bit of a, of a time in my life where I was learning about Jesus and then I had to grow and maybe explore Jesus in a deeper way. And if you remember in week one, I shared the confession early on of Jesus kind of being someone that I believed was just a miracle worker. Like I got interested in Jesus because my family needed like a miracle. Like we needed God to fix a problem that we had and heal somebody that we loved. And maybe that's kind of a first step that many people begin with. And then the, the next week I kind of talked about the confession of, for me, Jesus became interesting when he attacked religion. Or, you know, maybe you remember the idea that Jesus was against the institutions and he's really about spirituality and relationships. And we looked at how that's not entirely true when you really explore who Jesus is in the Bible. This morning, I want to talk about how the, one of the other really misconceptions I had growing up and really needed to, to grow in this is that I thought that Jesus was just a great teacher. And if you're thinking of, of this, just think of Jesus as like, like a Yoda, like this wonderful, wise guide. And many, many people who believe this actually put Jesus in the category of the other great religious teachers of the world. Like Jesus is like the Dalai Lama or Jesus is like the Buddha or Jesus is like Gandhi, like a wonderful leader who talked about peace and, you know, just like minimizing conflict. I think for a lot of people, the dominant idea they think of, if they're even going to think about Jesus, would be this category. And, and maybe that's okay. That's kind of a, a starting point. But this morning, I want to just help us think about what it would mean that Jesus was so much more than a teacher. That he was a great teacher, And yet that he called people to this deeper place of what it meant to embrace his teachings, not just because they would help us in life, 
but because they would draw us to a better understanding of who God really was. Now just think about this. Like if you think about that Jesus was just a great teacher, think about like the fact that like they, I, I can't think of any example in my mind of who would crucify somebody who's just a great teacher. And the more I read the Bible, the more I realized, so Jesus is kind of a great teacher and he's giving people tips on how to live and tips on how to love and tips on how to be kind to their neighbor. And then people thought, yeah, we should kill that guy. Like somebody should crucify him. This is unacceptable. That for me kind of didn't make sense. I was like, something doesn't connect here. Like nobody really wants to kill somebody who's just saying, hey, I'm just here to help you have good relationships. Like that just doesn't happen. And so early on in my journey, I thought, man, there's probably something just a little bit more deeper to the story of who Jesus is that I maybe have not read or understood or explored. And this kind of got me on a journey, and maybe for you this morning, this is going to be that step that helps you to be like, rediscovering Jesus just takes a bit more time to hearing when he says something maybe that's offensive, when he positions himself as a teacher, but not just a teacher. Actually, one of the times that Jesus does this is when he's teaching some, some people and there's religious leaders there who are there. And, and if you want to write something down, you want to write this down, is that there was other teachers who were already around when Jesus started to teach. So even as you think about Jesus as a teacher, you think about like, did the ancient world need more teachers? Like, did they, were they running out of teachers? You know, so how does this all fit into the big picture? And Jesus starts to talk about his teachings and what they are about. And he talks about primarily to those who think that they're great Bible teachers. You know, I think of people who maybe, you know, help me learn the Bible. And I think of Jesus maybe saying something that would offend them. And this is what Jesus will say one day in the Gospel of John. You'll feel the, the tension that Jesus creates. He says this, you search the scriptures to these teachers, these religious teachers of the Bible. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they, that they bear witness about me. And it is that they bear witness about me. Sorry about that. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I did not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. But I, the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. All of a sudden, you feel like Jesus the teacher becomes Jesus the person who starts to put his finger on something much deeper than just being a good teacher. And these religious leaders there, they realize that Jesus is saying something about them. The fact that they had found a way to make the Bible this book that you can teach from and never really get to the love of God. Never really move people from hearing the scriptures to Jesus as to actually following who he is. Now, I want to go just a little bit deeper this morning, so it's going to kind of help you understand. And, and you know what? Years ago, I remember teaching some of this in a, in a different context in a university, and people who had gone to church their whole lives, I remember them feeling that this was something they had never heard before. So even for some of you maybe who've been Christians for a long time or are very familiar with the Bible, you might want to write this down and you want to really remember something really important about this next piece here that I'm going to share with you is that when Jesus starts to teach and he starts to express something special about God the Father and the language of the passage of, you know, the glory of God and the fact that people should receive him as if they're receiving that God sent him, all of these things, Jesus is dealing with a world that primarily has four types of Jewish teachers. And I want to give you the names of these categories. Some of, you, some of them you'll know and some of them will be kind of brand new, okay? So the first kind of group of religious teachers are called the Pharisees. Okay, those are kind of like the most dominant one you've probably heard of. Okay, that Jesus is a teacher in a world where there's a, a group of teachers called the Pharisees. Okay? The other group of teachers that exists in the Bible, in the ancient world when Jesus is around, are called the Sadducees. Okay? These are more teachers that are connected to the law and to the temple. 
They have a lot more connection, maybe more of a political side of their teaching. Okay? The other group is a group called the Essenes. The Essenes are the kinds of teachers that resemble most the style of John the Baptist. They were kind of against the structure and they were teaching in a way more at the outskirts of the communities. And they would teach like maybe from the outside in. Okay, that kind of vibe. And then there's a the last group of teachers that they were called the Zealots. These are kind of like rogue, on fire, committed to the, the teachings of Torah, and nobody was going to mess with them. Like a bit more of an aggressive uh, vibe of teaching. Okay, so, so just maybe write these down, maybe even put just the first letter of each, just to remember that when Jesus starts to teach, there's already teachers there. And there's already a group of teachers, and early on, what people are trying to do, they're trying to figure out which category does Jesus belong to? Like, is Jesus like a Pharisee? Or is Jesus more like the Sadducees? Maybe Jesus is like an Essene because he, he knows John the Baptist. Maybe he's that kind of teacher. Or maybe he's a zealot. Yeah, he said he's going to, like, you know, he's going to maybe the temple's going to be taken down and he's going to, like, he talks about a sword sometimes and people are like, I love this guy. It's going to be great, right? So he fits in that category better. What you learn very, very quickly is about Jesus the teacher is that he doesn't fit in any of these categories really, really neatly. He actually embraces some things about some of the categories of teachers and then he pushes other ideas where people feel like, this guy's a great teacher, but there's something more about him and we just can't put our finger on it. Maybe this morning for you, this is something that God's gonna do in your heart and maybe in your thinking about Jesus. That maybe the first step that you've taken is that you really believe that Jesus is a great teacher. But maybe God is going to show you and show us together as we read the scriptures that there's just a next place that he's calling you to. That we don't just embrace Jesus for his teachings, but we understand that this Jesus who's inviting us to learn from his teachings tells us that those who don't put his teachings into practice are fools. This is a different kind of teacher. Like, I've been a teacher a long time, and I've taught in university settings, and I can never imagine in my mind finishing my class and saying, by the way, if none of you really take me seriously, you're all a bunch of idiots. People would be offended. They'd send notes to the dean. They'd be like, who does this guy think he is? Like, he's just our teacher. And oftentimes, I tell you the truth, I don't like the title of teacher for Jesus because teaching in our culture is kind of like someone who has some experience about something we don't have. But if we don't like the teacher, we can kind of ignore them and find a better teacher. In the context of learning about Jesus, the teacher, Jesus never gives us that option. He actually teaches in such a way, and maybe you want to write this down, that implies that those who ignore him and his teachings will have consequences to pay. They will actually experience a way of life that violates what God has in store for his people. They will miss out on the benefits and the blessing of all of the things that God has in store for his people because they thought, oh, he was just one of another teacher that the world had. Now, I want to just help you understand this, that Jesus also is very careful that sometimes he wants to help some of those four groups that you just gave you. See if you remember them, right? The Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and the Zealots, right? Those four groups. There is times when Jesus says things and some of the teachers in those groups are intrigued. They're just curious. Now, it, maybe you've heard of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of, one of these great Pharisees that is so interested in Jesus that he's going to come to Jesus and say, like, say a little bit more to me. Or like maybe this passage will help you. It's a passage in the Gospel of Luke where the Pharisees kind of are interested in Jesus. They like him a little bit. And this is what we're told. It's really mind-blowing. That at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. I mean, I'm like, how did I miss this in the Bible? Like I was given such a black and white view of Jesus. Like Jesus is into like loving people and the Pharisees are religious leaders and they're bad. And, and the truth is, is that as we learn about Jesus, he's much more complicated. He's 
the truth, and he's the way, and he's the life. And to understand all of those, you kind of have to go where he goes. You can't just take his teachings as options for things that might work in your life and then decide, I found a better teacher. I have a better options. You can't really do that. He actually invites us to be people who take him seriously. Now, I want to show you that there's a section of the Bible, and I want to transition here. There's a section of the Bible in the New Testament where we, when we think of Jesus as a teacher, we often go to. It's probably like the most famous section of the New Testament when we think of Jesus teaching, and it actually probably his teachings brought together in one of the greatest sermons that he ever preached, okay? And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a section of, of, of chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5 to 7, where we kind of have Matthew and some of the earliest followers of Jesus bringing together the teachings of Jesus. Now, there's a sense that he probably didn't preach all of this in one shot, the way we have it in the Gospel of Matthew, but all of these teachings would come together as the dominant way that the teachings of Jesus were just pushing people to understand that he was so much more than a teacher and that he was inviting people to listen to him and to grow. Now, one of the things that's so amazing about the Sermon on the Mount is that I know people, you might know people, who don't even believe in God. They would call themselves atheists. And they will still say that there's some things that Jesus talks about in this Sermon on the Mount, in these teachings, that are so revolutionary. That even people who are atheists will say, hey, you know, this is what makes Jesus really, really a profound, profound teacher. It's a microphone here. Uh, a profound teacher. So give you an example. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how important it is to love our enemies. I mean, even if you're not religious, even if you don't care about, you know, kind of the Bible or the church, there's something profound about the teachings of Jesus that invites us to care and to love those who hurt us. It means profound. So there's something about the Sermon on the Mount that is so revolutionary that other people will read and be like something special about this. Also, I think what makes the Sermon on the Mount really, really special is that it's so practical. Now, for some of you, maybe if you've never read the Bible, what keeps you from reading the Bible is maybe the feeling that the Bible is like this big book of theology words and big words that you won't understand. Hey, it really doesn't have to be that way. You know, our commitment as a church is, is to help and to encourage. We have different learning contexts for you. But if you're just kind of just starting off or you know someone who's starting off and kind of exploring Jesus, maybe this is a great sermon to share with them because they would maybe be encouraged to just read the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. And it's in that context that Jesus begins to teach and say, hey, hey, when you finish hearing me teach here, will you put some of these teachings into practice? Let me show you how practical the teachings of Jesus are on the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, he begins this whole sermon section in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible open or you're reading it, you know this already, with a whole list of blessings. I mean, sign me up. I know people, they're like, I want some blessings in my life. I want some of God's prosperity, some of God's promises. I know people like God has a destiny for you and you know, there's all kinds of people who want that. And then you kind of start to read how Jesus defines blessings and talks about blessings. And this is what we're told right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Like a punch in the face, right? And then he goes on, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, and blessed are the peacemakers, on and on and on. And he has all these sections of blessings. Maybe for you that's a good starting point. To be like, what kind of teacher talks and redefines blessings in this way? How did that even happen? I mean, that's not how I define blessing. I know maybe for you, you know the feeling of blessing is like that I would have a good year this year. 
If you're a business leader or, you know, you work in, a, in, you know, in an environment where, you know, blessing equals at the end of the year we made more money than we lost money. That's, that's how we define blessing. Or blessing might mean like I want to feel blessed when my kids listen to me or when my kids, uh, you know, do what I say. We have our certain definition of blessing. None of us expect Jesus' words when he says, blessed are those who mourn. Like, that feels like the opposite of blessing. Years ago, I remember being part of a, a painful situation with a family and doing a funeral and really sharing some of these words that there's a special blessing of God's presence that is available to those who mourn. And some of the people at the funeral kind of were like uncomfortable, uncomfortable about this. They were like, you know, where does that come from? I'm like, this is Jesus, the one people think was a great teacher. This doesn't just land the way we think good teachings might land. Because Jesus' teachings were not just about how we have a better life. Jesus' teachings were not just about how to just help us kind of succeed this year or experience like God's blessing in our lives. Actually, Jesus' teachings were given to us in a way to illuminate and to help us understand God's love for us even when our life is not feeling like it's so blessed. And he does this at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to talk about these blessings and people will say, we remember his teaching. We remember that in his teaching, he was doing something in us that was drawing us to pay attention to our hearts. That was drawing us to pay attention to the things that we worship. And what Jesus will do on the Sermon on the Mount, he'll address issues like divorce, and he'll address issues like prayer, and he'll address issues like murdering. And you're like, where is this coming from, right? Let me just read another section, highly practical. So practical, I think, for what we're living in today, where Jesus talks about, like, being angry. And I know none of you watching are angry or have anger issues, but maybe this is just for me. But this is what Jesus says at one point. He goes, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I read that this week and I thought, Wow, Jesus, like that kind of teaching goes deep. That Jesus would say, listen, listen, there's a way that anger will seep into your heart that you might not murder somebody, but you'd be fine if somebody else did. And Jesus says, my teachings are not just good teachings that you would maybe use when you're having a bad day or that you will look into when you want to experience some success or some tips he would say, let's go like a little bit deeper. And let me just tell you that for those who think that they can ignore these teachings, that there's a type of judgment that also might come your way. I mean, I don't know about you, but that bothers me. Like I was just happy when Jesus was just like a nice guy. Like how did we get into judgment language? This is crazy. Jesus says there's something about the people who believe in him, who begin to practice what he says, that would stir them to act differently. And he uses this profound language. If you have a Bible and you're taking notes, you want to write this, okay? He talks about the people who take his teaching seriously start to act with one another as brothers and sisters. The language here is really, really profound. It's not just be nice to your brother or your sister that's in your house. He's saying that there's a category for brother and sister, which are those who take my teaching seriously. They, in a sense, become brothers and sisters with each other. Some of you know this language because at the 180, we often encourage you to think about that language for the sake of our community or the church. And yet I know that for each of us, this is a season where maybe COVID has ramped up the anger in our lives. 
the anger with people that we care about, that we got along with for years, and maybe it's a friend or a family member who disagrees with something that we believe about COVID and what should happen next. And that tension turns to bitterness, and the bitterness turns to envy and gossip, and that gossip starts to fester and the anger grows. And Jesus says, you know what? That's its own kind of murder, and God sees it. And my teachings are meant to address that. This week, what would it look like for us to really embrace the teachings of Jesus that would draw us to a place where we let God do something deep in our hearts? Really, that's kind of that first step again, right? That Jesus is more than a teacher. He's a great teacher. We don't need more teachers. And he's the kind of teacher that when people start to feel the tension of his teachings, they get uncomfortable. And some get so uncomfortable that they're like, I'm uncomfortable with this guy. Uh, We need to shut him down. We need to shut him up. We need to kill him. There's some people in the crowd that are going to get so angry at Jesus that they're going to start to plan how to murder him. Jesus says, these teachings are meant to transform something deep in your heart. Years ago, I, uh, when I was studying theology and I started studying the Bible, I had this really blessing of going on a world religions tour. And we went on this tour in Toronto and we visited different religious and worship, uh, I would say buildings, contexts. We, we visited a Buddhist temple and a Hindu temple. We visited a mosque and a synagogue. We visited a small church, you know. And I remember feeling in that classroom, you know, just the learning and the teacher explaining how for many people, even to this day, Jesus just, just fits, again, one of those teachings, one of those contexts that's just kind of a little bit different, like a buffet of spirituality. Like you pick whatever works for you, right? And I think what was always missing that, you know, I, I wish somebody would have helped me do is to understand, like, But why did they crucify him? Like, why did it lead to that if Jesus was just helping them just learn about God's love? This is something that really requires our attention. If we're going to grow from just embracing that Jesus was just a good teacher. Nobody kills good teachers. Nobody just crucifies someone who's just saying kind of be nice to everyone. There's something about the teachings of Jesus that show us something else. And what really helped me take that next step that I hope you think about is the idea that only when you really embrace Jesus' teachings and take them seriously do you realize that he's more than just a good teacher. Right? Only when you realize that as you live these teachings, you're like, wait a second, this is so much more than just some tips for how to live. One of the things I want to help you maybe think about is that Jesus, in his teachings, is not just making us better students. He's not just making us better Christians. But he's actually bringing together, big word here, ready for some of you? He's bringing together what I like to call a covenant community. He's starting to draw people together who are going to start to live together and model his teachings, not because he was a good teacher, but because he was the truth himself. And from who he is, his teachings will flow. And all of the people who are listening to his sermon understand that at some point, the benefits of his teachings begin when people began to follow him. I want to tell you something about the Sermon on the Mount that's really, really profound. That Jesus is the model of everything that he teaches in his sermon. I know you know this and I feel this. One of the most painful and angry things that we experience is someone who can teach and then be a hypocrite and not do what they say. You ever feel that? If you have never heard of this, you just need to get on the internet. Okay? Like, it's full of stories that you have and I get and a preacher who says, hey, be generous, and then they're stealing money from the church. Or someone who says, be compassionate, and then they're not compassionate, right? There's a hypocrisy that makes us so angry, and it should, because it's connected to injustice. It's connected to lying. 
And I want you to understand that something about Jesus as he's teaching, everybody watching him knows that he is the embodiment of everything in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to model everything that he invites his disciples to live into because he was more than just this great teacher. He practiced something about this that pointed people not just to the beauty of his teachings, but to the the beauty of God the Father and his love. It kind of moved people to say, God really loves us. God really cares about us in the midst of all of this mess that we've made. And at one point, Jesus continues to teach, and I just want to show you one of the most practical parts of the Sermon on the Mount as we kind of like maybe wind down, and even as we think about this coming week, as we think about many people that we love and care about, and even in our culture, we reflect a little bit maybe on mental illness and maybe misconceptions we have about that and how we might have to grow and create some space to learn. Jesus has this wonderful section of the Sermon on the Mount where he's going to start talking about what what happens when when worry grips our heart. If you've ever felt like worry and anxiety and stress begin to grip your heart, you know this. This is what Jesus will say. As part of that Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? It's like a bomb. Jesus drops it and you're like, wow. Like, I want that. I want to feel something about the the truth and the the full benefits of what it means to take Jesus' words seriously. Not just to be like, these are good tips when I'm having a bad week. Like, these are good tips because it's COVID, so like, you shouldn't worry. And when, I, when my life gets better, I can kind of ignore these. No, no, no. Jesus is saying there's a way of life that changes our perspective of how God sees us and how we see ourselves. And I want you to maybe feel the tension of this, that Jesus is saying these words to people who are like on maybe sitting on the grass on a hillside. Some of them are poor. Some of them have nothing. Can you imagine some of them being offended? Like, is this guy telling us not to worry? We don't know where our kids are going to eat tomorrow. What kind of teacher is this? that Jesus is beginning to stir in them a vision of the fact that even in difficult circumstances, God has not forgotten them. That God is aware of what's going on and the thing that God is about to feed them with that they do not understand is the very life of Jesus himself and his teachings. That there's a kind of spiritual teaching that's going to fuel them and feed them spiritually that's going to get them to the very practical struggles of knowing like worrying, where will worry come from? I want to be honest. When I read this passage of worrying and especially how I've heard the passage used throughout the years by different people who use this passage. It's very easy to use this passage on worry as kind of a laissez-faire passage. I often think of this old song. It's, it's kind of a cheesy song, okay? And it's a song called Que Sarah Sarah. You know, it's an Italian song. Some of you, we have some sketchy Italians in our church don't know the song. Uh, just some, not all, okay? And it's a song, you might hear it. Like, it's, it's, it's a song that is kind of silly. And it's like, if you hear the words, like people sing it. It's an old, old song. Well, kisarasara actually means like whatever will be, will be. You know, I like, don't worry. Like, just shake it off. Like, just let it go, you know. And, and we almost hear the Sermon on the Mount. We hear Jesus' teachings about not to worry as almost a way of being lazy. It means like you don't have to do anything. God's going to take care of any, everything. God's got this and you don't have to worry. And I want to just remind you that, that that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. You know, if you're going to tune in here and learn with us and if you're going to grow with our church, you know that we, we really 
stretch you and want you to understand the Bible properly. If you have a parking ticket that you haven't paid and you've ignored paying it for months and months and months and a cop pulls up behind you and the lights go on and you pull over and you start to get sweaty and worried, you should worry. Like the cop rolling down the window and you reading them, I want to read you something I learned in church about not worrying. You reading this to them will not matter. Because there are contexts when you should be aware of what's going on because of something that you've done or something that someone else has done. So Jesus' teachings are not like these teachings that we sprinkle on things when we don't know what to deal, what to do with difficult situations that others have, have done that have affected us or things that we have done that are causing us to worry. And we really want you to understand that Jesus is going to teach his disciples who follow him the truth of what that means. But he is saying that there's a kind of peace and strength and hope for those who are putting their trust in God and those who are embracing his teachings and those who are saying that this Jesus is more than just a teacher, that there's something about his authority that we've never seen before. And we who take his teachings seriously are going to follow him wherever he goes. That's just the truth. And our prayer for many of you, maybe if you're still at the beginning of that step, is that a teaching series like this would help you begin to move to the place where you would embrace that about Jesus. That in your rediscovery of Jesus, you wouldn't just say that he's a good teacher, you'd actually affirm that he's a good teacher and that he's actually so much more than just that as well. What would it take for you to do that? What kinds of things keep you from doing that? Is it because maybe you're worried about stuff? Or maybe you've prayed and your, your prayers haven't been answered. Or maybe you're just angry. Jesus has something to say about that. Or maybe you don't even know how to pray. Well, Jesus talks about that as well. And maybe you're just not aware anymore. Maybe this week, the first step for you is to go back and read Matthew 5 to 7. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. Feel what it would have been like to just hear some of the teachings of Jesus. And let me just warn you, right at the beginning, some of it will be a little bit hard to understand. And you know what? Jesus did that intentionally. I know it doesn't feel right because our view of teacher, again, is someone that explains something clearly so that we can pass a test. That's not the kind of teaching that Jesus offers us. Jesus offers us the kind of teaching that draws us into this relationship that when we understand or we have questions or we have concerns, he says to you and to me, hey, why don't you follow me? Why don't you follow me to the next town? Let's keep walking together. What was the problem you had with what I said? Well, about that anger thing and the murder, you know, I didn't mean it. I'm trying to be a good person. Interesting. Jesus would probably say to you and to me, is there anyone you have to forgive? And then he'd probably say, hey, before you think about who you have to forgive, let me just remind you that God, the Father who loves us, forgives you already. He had a way of bringing together all of these different teachings because he was more than a teacher. You know, a few years ago, I read this, this story uh, about a group of atheists in England who wanted to just, you know, they were tired of the, some religious people who were using religion in the media, and they came up with this brilliant kind of campaign idea. And actually, one of the spokespeople for this campaign was the famous atheist called Richard Dawkins. Uh, some of you maybe have heard of him. Uh, I, I've read some of his books. Really, really thoughtful writer and atheist. And the campaign was actually this campaign that you see right there on the screen. Like this campaign was, was this idea of uh, on a bus. This campaign was used on buses and it says this, there's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And this was then on buses across England. And, you know, Richard Dawkins is famously like, he didn't say it, but he was part of the campaign. And you can see just the, in the picture, like all these buses. And I thought about that, you know. If we saw some of these buses running here in, in Quebec, 
How some people would say, yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's true. We need to stop worrying. And the more I thought about this, and I'm more, the more I thought about that even atheists know what it's like for people to feel the pain of worry. That they would say, hey, one of the things you need to do is maybe what's making you worry is that you believe in a God that hates you or is going to punish you. So, so don't worry, there probably is no God. Just enjoy your life. I've been a pastor long enough that I know that there's no billboard or sign that you can share with people. And that most people, if you tell them not to worry, that actually doesn't help them at all. It actually doesn't help them stop worrying. It actually, for some people, if you just tell them stop worrying and stop feeling, stop feeling bad and stop feeling depressed and stop feeling stressed, it just makes them more worried and more concerned and more overwhelmed. Actually, there's something about what Jesus tells us that's much more profound than that. That as he's talking about not worrying, as he's talking about the kinds of people that he's drawing to himself, maybe you remember the word that I, I gave you earlier, that Jesus is drawing to himself not just some good students, Jesus is drawing to himself a new community of people. And the word I gave you is this word, a covenant community. Our ministry partners know that word because they sign a covenant agreement. They actually sign something. They say, we're going to do this together no matter how hard it gets. Before I pray, I just want to let you know something that's really important. That the language in the Sermon on the Mount about what it means to not worry what it means to trust God when it's difficult, what it means to, to have someone else carry your burdens, what it means for, for God to teach us what it means to pray, only makes sense because Jesus is developing the kinds of people who will care for the needs of others. If you don't get this, you'll miss everything about this sermon. You know why people can decide today that they're not going to worry? Because those who've committed to following Jesus are going to be generous. Those who are committed to loving Jesus are going to open up their homes and welcome them in when they have nowhere to sleep. Jesus is not talking about the kind of worry that's a magical fairy dust that falls from the sky that he'll just provide food magically. No, God's going to provide people who took Jesus seriously and they're going to live this sermon out. And those who meet them will know what it's like that they don't have to worry. Those who are carrying bitterness and anger are going to meet somebody who's been set free of bitterness and anger because they said yes to Jesus and this sermon will make sense again. And oftentimes I think if Jesus is just a teacher, he just sprinkles some tips that we hope we get from the sky or from a bad week or from reading a book. No, 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 no. The Sermon on the Mount comes alive because there are a group of people who are called brothers and sisters who are going to live the truth of what it says. And when we do that, we become those who tell the world that Jesus was so much more than a teacher. So much more than we could have ever imagined. As we started to take his teaching seriously, we understood that he was really a son of God. And that because the power of the Spirit is living in us now, we are becoming the kinds of people that can encourage others who need a meal not to worry. Because we're going to share with them we can encourage others who are carrying incredible burdens and anxieties that they're not alone, that we will walk with them. Jesus will use all of this language because he's calling this new community together. As we continue in this series, maybe this is kind of a big hurdle for you. You need to just take the next step and just say, okay, these teachings, I got to really take them seriously. Maybe not just because they're practical, maybe not just because they're useful, but because Jesus was really who he claimed to be, which was God and sent from God. And this is kind of like such a mind-blowing thing. It was so hard for me to get to that point. That's what Jesus says. At the end of this sermon, 
he reminds those who hear his teachings and ignore them that they're foolish. But then he says this right at the end, and I'm going to close in a prayer. He says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. COVID, maybe for you, it has for me, it's felt like a tidal wave, storm after bad news, after lockdowns. And there's something I've come back to, which is Jesus' teachings are what we've built our life on. And that we can rest assured that if we continue to live out of the truth of what he gave us, he will be with us. He will help us with our anger. He will help us with what it means to be generous, what it means to share, what it means to listen to somebody that we even disagree with. Say, I understand. God's going to help us through this. Before we close this morning, let me just pray for us. And some of you maybe are in our YouTube feed, you're on the chat, maybe say a little thank you to our media team that's really got us through this. Maybe you, you just need some prayer. We want to encourage you. Info at the 180. Just send us a note. If you're just needing just the next step, the next encouragement, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. But let me just pray for us before I close this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you taught us how to pray. You told us that we have a God who's a father to us, who knows what we need even before we ask. And yet you told us to pray and to fast and to do these things that would shape something deep inside of us because your teachings were not just good tips for how to live, but they were the words of God transforming broken hearts. And each of us know that feeling. Every day we, we feel that in our own lives and in our world, the brokenness, the sinfulness, the greed, the envy. And we thank you, Jesus, not only for your teachings, but that we understand that we just didn't need another teacher. There were many of those in the ancient world, but you were so much more than that. And then I pray for those who are listening or maybe watching, that, that they would just sense your power and your strength to take that step and to say yes to you and to follow you and to embrace you not just as a teacher but as their Lord and as the one who restores and heals everything around us. May you continue to go with us, go ahead of us like you did for your earliest followers. As we think about opening up again and as we think about making room for those who have questions and doubts, would you just go ahead of us and help us to prepare others who need to understand that you were so much more than a teacher. And it's for that reason that we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone, I'm, uh, I'm always really, really grateful. It's, a, it's really awkward to be here speaking into a camera with a few of us here, but we're doing our best to stay connected, to encourage you, to remind you not only that we miss you, but that God loves you. And so we pray that you follow along this week with us, social media, all the announcements that are coming our way. And if maybe you don't have a church and you have questions about church and community, send us a note, info at the 180.ca. God bless everyone. See you soon.